Awesome. Good morning, GT family. How y'all doing? Apparently there's a big game happening or starting here in one minute. How many, uh, how many France fans do we have in here? Is that who's in the world? I'm not a soccer guy, so I think it's France and Argentina, isn't it? Is that right? Am I right on that or am I wrong? It's okay to correct the pastor. It's all right. So is it France and Argentina? All right. How many France fans? All right. Yeah, a few. How many Argentina fans in here? All right. Hey. Oh, okay. I, I, I sense the spirit in that one. So awesome. Well, yesterday was not a good sports day for Pastor Tim here. Uh, my Indiana Hoosiers um, got their butts kicked by Kansas on the road. And then my Indianapolis Colts made history. Quiet, David. (laughs) They were up 33-0 at the half, and they blew the lead and lost to the Minnesota Vikings. So it was a a rough day in the Woodcock home, so I was in a... (laughs) I was in a little bit of a bitter mood over it, so. But I'm in a good mood today because I'm in the house of God yes. with the people of God, worshiping my Jesus and ready to open the scriptures here today. I just want to reiterate something. On January 1st, um, for the New Year's Day service, I want to encourage you to prioritize that. It's going to be a great service. We're going to have some testimonies, some recap from the year, and then uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to actually be leading worship that Sunday, and it's going to be a hymn sing-along, all right? So I'm going to be leading several of my favorite hymns in that service. So how many people love the hymns? I love the hymns. I love singing our theology and doctrine. And so I'm going to be leading several of my favorite hymns for that service. So if you're able to make it, we'd love to have you join with us. If you have your Bibles, go to Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verses 6 through 7. We are in week 4 of our series on Advent, where we are looking at really celebrating the arrival of Jesus, the promise and the hope of the Messiah who was to come, who did come, and we actually believe is still coming even here today. And you'll remember that we've been looking at the four names of Jesus as listed in Isaiah 9 in his prophecy that he gives to the children of Israel, that he is the wonderful counselor, he is the mighty God, he is the prince of peace, and he is also everlasting father. And Isaiah, he actually writes this prophetic promise for Israel at a time when things are looking very bad and essentially are about to get worse. And the hope that Isaiah declares is about a person, not a system, not a party, not a strategy, but the hope that Isaiah declares in Isaiah 9 is about a person who will come to begin making all things wrong Right, that there is a light beyond the darkness that Israel can anticipate its arrival. And it's not just an enduring till that day, but it's a hope of that day that is future breaking into the here and now. And that's important because in the Old Testament understanding, they were anticipating that great and final day. But with the arrival of Jesus, the idea is that great day has now broken into the here and now. So that day has actually already begun. And about 700 years prior to the coming of Christ, Isaiah gives this incredible declaration where he gives this promise. And I want us to stand for the reading of God's word here this morning. And the prophet declares these words, for to us, a child is born. To to us, a son is given. 
and the government shall be upon his shoulder. I love that we sang that here this morning. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the word of the Lord. We may be seated here today. I want to ask you a question here this morning. Have you ever been lost before? Gentlemen, (laughs) have you ever been lost before? Have you ever been lost before in another country? Have you ever been lost before in another country where you did not speak that language? I want to share a bit of a story about a missions trip, and I'm not saying this to scare anyone about our future missions trip because we are well prepared for that missions trip. But many years ago, I was a part of a team that went to Peru, and we led about 60 teenagers on this trip between three or four different youth groups. It was way too many teenagers, way too many kids. We had three different buses that would meet every morning at our residence and take us into the city of Lima to do different missions work. And there was this young gentleman who every single morning would sleep in and would be late to the buses, and we would have to go fetch him. Well, about day four, this young gentleman once again slept in. He was late for the buses, and the team was getting frustrated because this was day four of this event happening. And every day, they would take us from our residence into the city. We would do missions work all day, and then they would take us back to our residence. So on day four, I said, I will go and find this young gentleman, wake him up, and bring him back. So I went, I found him right where he always was, sleeping in his bed, and I said, hey you, I won't say his name, hey you, get up, it's time to go, this is day four, you're late again, the buses are ready to leave. So he got up, got dressed quickly, threw on some track pants, some shoes, his hair is all a mess, he didn't even brush his teeth, it was just nasty. We walk out, and the buses had left. They had left us. Now. The smart thing would have been just to stay where we were and just stay present and hope that they figure out, oh, we've forgotten Pastor Tim, this young man, we need to go back and get him because the the community we were staying at was about 30 minutes outside of the city. Um, But I tend not to be the smartest person in those types of situations. I tend to be the type of person that likes to take initiative. I love adventure and I love to try to figure it out on my own. So I said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to walk to the bottom of this hill because we're staying up on this mountain. We're going to get a taxi and we're going to meet them at the place where we are meeting. So we do that. We walk to the bottom of the hill and we get a taxi and the taxi driver doesn't speak any English and I'm trying to communicate a little bit about the community that we're in. And so the taxi driver shakes his head as if he knows where we're going. We start to drive. And all of a sudden, I realized this doesn't look familiar. We've been going to the same place for four days now, and this place looks a little di- bit different. We wind up 30 minutes outside of the city of Lima in a little village, and the taxi driver lets us out. And I say, this isn't the place. And the taxi driver just shakes the head like this and leaves us on our own. So there I am as a youth pastor, a leader with a young teenager 30 minutes outside of the city of Lima in a place I have no idea where we are. I am completely lost. And so what do I do? I pray. I literally say, God, help me. Because I have no idea where I am and I have no idea where we are to go. And all of a sudden, a little lady comes up beside me. She begins to recognize that we're not speaking their language and 
we're from America, and she begins to talk in, in broken English and basically says, where do you need to go? And I say, I thought I knew where we were going, but apparently I didn't, and we're not in the right place. And I begin to take out my digital camera and show her pictures of the church where we're supposed to go. And she goes, oh, I know, I know. This little lady gets us on the bus and leads us 30 minutes to the church. We get off the bus, she gets off the bus. I look at her, I say, thank you. I turn, and then I think, thank you is not enough for what this lady did. I need to go bless her financially. I turn, and this lady is completely gone. Completely gone. I run onto the bus, She's not on the bus. I begin to walk up and down the street, and I realize this lady has just vanished. She's just pulled like a ninja move here. She's just disappeared in our presence. And so we go into the church. We meet up with the team. I begin to tell the pastor there, Rich Ferguson, what's happened. And he says, Sam, I think you've just experienced an angel. And I want you to know that this happens quite often here in Peru. And it was a great reminder to me as a young minister that no matter where I am in life, no, no matter where I am in the world, even when I feel completely lost and hopeless, God is always present. He is always with me, and he looks after his children. And this is what we celebrate in this Christmas season. This is what we celebrate in the Advent season, is that God loves to remind his people, loves to remind his children he is always present. He is always with them. And even when we are lost and we don't know where we're at, he is there. And many times when we are lost and we know we're lost, but we know where we're at, but we don't know where to go, he is also present to help lead us and get us back to the place where we belong. Now the fourth title that we are dealing with here this morning is the title of Everlasting Father. And I just want to acknowledge right from the beginning here that I understand that many times this idea of relating to Jesus or relating to God as Father can be, can be a challenge for many of us. I just want to name that first. Because many times we have experienced poor representations of fathers in this life, in this world, or we've, we've experienced some hurt and heartache because of the way our fathers acted, or maybe they weren't present with us in situations. So when we talk about this idea of relating to Jesus or relating to God as Father, it can definitely be a difficult challenge. But we must understand that when it comes to new covenant fulfillment, what we see over and over again is that the Bibles want to make clear that when Jesus came and arrived on the scene, he was here to reveal God but he was also here to reveal a better representation of every bad representation that exists here on earth. For instance, Jesus is a better savior. Jesus is a better leader. Jesus is a better teacher. He is a, a better prophet. He is a better redeemer. And Jesus also is a better father. And so as we approach this text here today and really break down some concepts, I want you to understand that truth, that with the arrival of Jesus, he is here to reveal a better representation of what God intends for his humanity. Now the title Father here seems to be the most difficult for scholars to deal with, but most have rightly pointed out the connection and oneness between this son that Isaiah is prophesying about and his father. 
This is why Jesus in John 10, verse 30 would say, I and the Father are what? Are one. In John 16, he would say, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. And this means that though Jesus is not the Father, he's actually come to reveal or make known who the Father is or what he is like. This is why the writer of Hebrews was saying in Hebrews chapter one, long ago in many different ways, God spoke through different means. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by what? His son. Because he is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the perfect representation of what God is like. Now the word everlasting here speaks of being old or lasting or forever or outside of time. Every time I hear that word forever, I think of the great movie, The Sandlot. Anybody ever seen that movie before? A little smalls, forever. No one? All right. Anyways, moving on. (laughs) Outside, it's a great movie if you want to watch it over Christmas break. Um, It means outside of time. Uh, The word father speaks of concern or care or founder or ancestor. Now, a couple things to note real quickly here, that this is not a reference, everlasting father, to the first person of the Trinity, but rather is that Messiah will come and he will care for his people like a good father is supposed to care for his children. So when this title, everlasting father, is given, it's not referencing God the Father, it's referencing how Messiah will come And he will represent what it means to be a good father who cares for their children. And then in representing that, he is ultimately pointing towards God the Father. Secondly, it speaks of this never-ending nature of his care, how the care of the Messiah will know no end. This is why the, the prophet says that the government will be upon his shoulders. And his kingdom will only what? increase. It will know no end. And so in the same way, this title, Everlasting Father, speaks of this idea that when Messiah comes, he will care for his people and his care will know no end. It will last forever in every single generation. And it will last into eternity. Now, for the children of Israel, as they're hearing this word by the prophet Isaiah declared, they would have immediately connected it to a famous psalm from their culture in Psalm 103, verses 11 through 14. It was a very common psalm that they would have learned even as young children, where it says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, So far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And verse 14, for he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. And so from this text here in Psalm 103 that many of them would have most likely connected to this prophetic declaration by the prophet Isaiah We see, number one, that when it comes to this Messiah, the Lord, the Father, that he is one that has an everlasting love. That number two, he is one that is full of forgiveness. And number three, he is one that has a heart of compassion for his people. 
So number one, we see this, that his love is forever. You see, the love that the Lord, the everlasting Father gives is not temporal or conditional. Rather, it is endless and never-ending. And the psalmist, he uses the infinite language to describe that love. You see, we live in a cultural moment where so many think of love as some sort of emotional or euphoric feeling. And therefore, we often treat it as transactional. If I have the feeling of love, which is usually connected to whether I'm feeling loved, then I will therefore give love. But this is not the way of Jesus, and this is not the way of the Messiah, and this is not the way of the everlasting Father. Rather, his love is freely given even when we did nothing to deserve it. And so this title, Everlasting Father, it reminds us that we, we have a Messiah who has an eternal love for his children that is infinite, and it never ends, it never goes away. He always loves his people. The great hymn, The Love of God, I love the way the, the writer scribes this, says, could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies a parchment made? Where every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by, tra by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Many of you know the course. It says, oh, love of God, how, how, what, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. And so in this Advent season, when we say that Jesus is everlasting Father, we are saying that his love is eternal and everlasting, and it knows no end for his people. Secondly, his forgiveness is forever. You see, the promise is that the Lord removes our transgressions from us, meaning that we are, we are utterly forgiven. Now, I don't know about you, but the challenge often for me, is that I know that I am forgiving theologically, I know that I am forgiven intellectually, but many times I live counterintuitively to that freedom and that forgiveness. My mentor used to often say, Tim, you, you have to get it from your thinker and you've gotta get it into your knower. I know, yes, my sins are forgiven, that as far as the east is from the west, he has removed my transgressions. But many times, even when I come into worship atmospheres, I can begin to think and dwell on my sins that are forgiven. Anybody else wrestle with this at times? And, and the enemy loves to come and bring up our past and our mistakes and the times where we've fallen short and we miss the mark. And, and, and many times, if I'm not careful, I can fall into the trap of almost asking for forgiveness for things I've already asked for forgiveness of. And the psalmist here in Psalm 103 reminds us, no, listen, this Father, this eternal one, removes your sins so they are no more. They are completely gone. You are forgiven. You are set free. Now live like it. Live as those that are in the freedom of the risen Christ, the everlasting Father. 
And so once again, this promise is that, that he doesn't just say you're forgiven and then brings it up. No, you are forgiven and it is removed from your very being. In fact, the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 1, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become wool. The great prince of preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, once said this, I believe that as often as I transgress, God is more ready to forgive me than I am ready to offend. Think about that truth for a moment. His forgiveness is forever. And he is more ready to forgive than we are to offend. Now, this isn't an excuse to go out and offend and sin. No, when we truly understand the beauty and power and depth of the forgiveness of God and how beautiful and amazing it is, it propels us into a lifestyle of holiness and purity. God is more ready to forgive than I am ready to offend. Thirdly, the psalmist says that his compassion is forever. Now, this word compassion is not just pity, it's not just feeling sorry for someone, it's not just looking at people that are going through a difficult time and saying, Well, that, that's pretty bad, that's pretty hard, that's that's difficult. No, this word compassion is actually connected to a deep level of empathy that it is also committed to the desire to fix that which is wrong. So once again, compassion is not just pity. Pity is not necessarily bad, but it's very shallow and surface level. This word compassion, it's connected to this deep desire is, this is wrong, this is difficult, and I want to do something about it to make it right. This is the, the love and the heart of the everlasting Father. And so as you read all throughout the gospel narratives, you see over and over again how Jesus, he, he viewed those in distress. He viewed those that were hopeless. He viewed those that were the outcasts of society, not with a way of just feeling pity for them, but the, the writers are intentional to say he saw them and he was moved with compassion. He saw them and he felt compassion. He saw their struggle, and he had a desire to alleviate their pain and the struggle. And so the, the gospel narratives, once again, don't just say that Jesus felt bad for, for people or he felt pity for people. Rather, they reveal how this Messiah would often enter in empathetically into these people's worlds and do something to help alleviate the suffering whether it was the feeding of the multitude in Matthew 14, the healing of the sick, sick in Luke 4, whether it was delivering the demonically oppressed in Luke 8, raising the dead in John 11. Everything Jesus did in his life was to reveal the compassionate heart he had for people and thus revealing the compassionate heart God the Father also has for his people. So the incarnation of Jesus and the, the promise of the coming Messiah by the prophet Isaiah reveals that God does not sit back and wait for us to figure out how to fix our own problems. This idea that God helps those who help themselves. Now, I don't believe that God forces his will on anyone, 
But the story of the incarnation is not that God sits back and says, well, figure it out on your own. No, the story of, of Advent, the story of, of Christmas is that Jesus reveals that God is committed to fixing what we cannot fix. In the South, there's this statement they say a lot, you can't fix stupid. Anybody ever heard that statement before? And it's true. You can't fix stupid. But God can. And God did. And God is continuing to fix and heal and restore everything that we have ever broken and messed up. And the story of Christmas reminds us that we could not fix ourselves. We were lost. And the truth, the truth is many of us didn't even know we're lost. We don't even know where we are. But Jesus came to fix, to heal, to restore, to comfort, to forgive. And he did this all out of a, a great love he has for his people and a genuine compassion he has for his children. Anybody ever heard the term before parental bias? Anybody ever heard that before? Anybody know what parental bias is? Parental bias is usually connected to parents who can often be blind to the reality of their children's faults or shortcomings, right? And I know for many of you, you're thinking, yeah, yeah, I know that parent. I know that kid. Um, here's the truth. Every parent in here, we are guilty of parental bias. Every single one of us. And it's not that we think our children are perfect. We, we know they're not perfect, we know they have shortcomings. We know they miss the mark. But usually when it comes to our children as contrasted with other children, this is where our parental bias tends to kick in, right? When, when you hear about a fight in the playground between your child and another child, there's a little bit of that in you usually that says, well, what did the other kid do? What did the other kid say? How did they offend my little Johnny or my Susie? And if they fought back, that's good. I taught them to fight back for their, you know. No, that, that's, that's parental bias, right? But here's, here's the beauty of this psalm. If you go back to Psalm 103 in verse 14, it says this. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are what? Dust. So when it comes to this idea of parental bias, all the statements that we have said where his love is forever, his forgiveness is forever, his compassion is forever, is not coming from this parental bias where God just looks at his children and says, aren't they just perfect? Aren't they just amazing? They never do no wrong. No, he knows our frame. He knows how lost we are. He knows how hopeless we are. He knows how broken and messy we are, and yet his heart is so moved by genuine love and compassion to literally enter into our world full of hopelessness and brokenness and despair and say, I got this. You don't have it. I got it. You're lost. Help me, uh, help, let me help you get back to the place where you actually belong. And I love it that the psalmist says, no, he loves us, he forgives us, and he has compassion on us because he deeply knows us intimately. 
doesn't it just feel good when you know that you are known? Like we, all, we all have those environments where we just feel safe, hopefully. And sometimes it's just with one person. Sometimes it's with family. Sometimes it's in our family reunions. You go home and you gather with family and you just know, oh, I can just be myself in this situation. Sometimes it's not with family. Sometimes it's just with that trusted friend or that, that person that you know you can confide in and you know that, that you can let your guard down and they know everything about you and it's going to be okay. This is the, this is the imagery here that the psalmist has given. Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord, the everlasting Father, he loves you so deeply. He forgives you endlessly. And he does it from a heart of compassion to fix that which is broken in your life. And he does this while he completely knows every single thing about you. In the presence of Jesus, you have nothing to hide. And this is what Christmas reminds us of. In the presence of the Messiah, we have nothing to hide. He's with us. He's here. He's present. If I ask the question, what makes a father good, many ideas will begin to circulate about that. And many times people will say, well, a good father is one who provides for their children. And there's, there's truth to that. A good father is one who, who guards and protects this is what we think of usually when we talk about a, a good father or a good mother is one who nourishes her children and, and also guards and protects and also provides. We understand those dynamics. But I think one of the most important things and attributes to what makes a father good is simply this, and this is something I'm learning over and over and over again in my life as a father. A good father is one who is present with his children. More than anything else I can provide or offer by simply being present with my children, it speaks volumes. And not just presence in physicality, being there, but I mean being present, being engaged, being intentional, really creating the space for them to express and open up and to allow themselves to feel safe and be known. I love that Jesus, he said in John 14, 8, I will not leave you as orphans, for I will come to you. Jesus, our Messiah, the everlasting Father who came, who is continuing to come, and who will come, is one who promises that we will never be left alone. Jesus, the everlasting Father, is present. Eugene Peterson says this, the central reality for Christians is the personal, unalterable, persevering commitment God makes to us. Perseverance is not the result of our determination. It is the result of God's faithfulness. And Christmas reminds us that God has been faithful and true to his word to always be present with his people. So the closing big idea here this morning, Advent, Christmas, reminds us that God is a present God. 
Advent reminds us that God is a present God. Jesus came into this world in the form of a baby to remind a people in despair and hopelessness that God has not left them. God has not forsaken them. He is not far off in some distant land. Christmas reminds us God is a good, good father because he is a present God. He is present. And so that means that, that his love, his forgiveness, and his compassion are also always present. If Jesus is present through his spirit in our lives, then his love is always with us. His forgiveness is always available. And his compassion is here to fix what we cannot fix. And beloved, this is the good news of the gospel. You see, when we are lost and we have no idea where we are, we're in a, a village 13 or 30 minutes outside of the city. He knows where we are, but he also knows how to lead us home because Jesus came to seek and to save all that is lost. Amen? Jesus came to seek and to save all that is lost. I want to invite the worship team to come back this morning. I want us to sing this new song that Sadie sang earlier called Names. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Emmanuel, God with us. Right? That God is a present God. I want us to stand to our feet here today. You know, maybe this morning you're here, and if you'll be honest, if you allow yourself just for a moment to be vulnerable and transparent, maybe you're here and you're here because a family member invited you. Maybe you're here because it's around the Christmas season, you felt like I should, I should probably go to church. But I don't believe in coincidences so much. I believe that the Bible teaches that God, in many ways, does order our steps. I don't believe that you're here this morning just by chance. And maybe you're here and you feel like, you know, if I'm honest, if I'm real transparent, Tim, I, I feel lost. And the hard part is, I, I don't know where I lost me. It's a great song called Defender. And the bridge in that song says, you knew where I lost me. You knew where to find me. You picked me up and you, you put together all my pieces. Basically, you restored my life. Sometimes we're lost and we don't even know how we got lost. We thought we were heading out here and we ended up way over here. But because Jesus came, to reveal how present God is. You can know this this morning. You may be lost, but he hasn't lost you. You may feel hopeless, but he hasn't given up hope on you. He is always with you, and he is ready to lead you home, to lead you back to the place where you belong. And in a moment after we sing this song, we're gonna have the prayer team come to the front. And if you feel lost, if you feel like, I don't even know where I'm at in this moment, we want to invite you to come and receive prayer.
and they would love to pray with you and help you discover what it means to be truly found in the presence of God and discover the place where you really belong. Maybe you're here this morning and you are a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, but in this journey of faith, you're just at a moment, you're in a season where you just feel confused or you feel a little bit disjointed or out of place. I believe the Holy Spirit is here to give an invitation here this morning and say, come, come, find, find what I have for you. Find the place where you belong. Let me help lead you back to your rightful place. Let me help reorient you get you back on the right track. So maybe you're here this morning and that's you. You just want prayer for that. But before we go to prayer, I want us to sing this chorus and this bridge again. And I want the truth of these lyrics to just resonate deep in our hearts. So sing it out. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us, you're here. Everlasting
So Father, I thank you for your people. And I thank you for your son, Jesus, who came to reveal how you are the everlasting Father. You're the one who cares for your people. You are the one who is committed to your people. You are the one who desires to reveal your love, your forgiveness, your compassion that knows no end. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and just reveal right now in this moment how no matter where people are in life, no matter the journey that they are on or how lost they feel, you know exactly where they're at. And Christmas reminds us that you have come to lead us home, to lead us back to the place where we belong, where we can be truly known and we can begin discovering the journey of knowing you. We thank you that you are a present God are with us in all things and it's in Jesus name we pray amen bless you've got to go go in the power and strength and goodness of his might we'll see you Christmas Eve if you want to come for prayer we would love the opportunity to pray with you here this morning bless you